But I'm glad they come out here so I don't have to keep turning around preaching. And especially that back row, you know, there's Todd, Jeff, and thank you, Michelle. <laughs> Todd, God bless you for having a godly wife, buddy. I understand. Mine the same way. Thankful for them wives who can correct our mistakes. I know you're thinking, do you really make any preacher? I'm just going to let that go, and we're going to go on with the message instead of going into that, because I'm sure Marcia could explain some mistakes I've made. But again, I digress. So let's get back to the message. I want to talk about mistakes I've made. Uh, I've been reading recently, the last couple of weeks, and a lot of people don't realize this, but but many preachers uh, read a lot of different things. Uh, and I think if you're going to be a good preacher, you need to kind of be well-rounded. You need to know what's going on in the world. You need to understand a little bit of science, maybe philosophy, uh, medicine. And as many of you know, I have a background in, in emergency medicine or paramedicine, so there's times I still look at articles and read articles about uh, medical things that are taking place and advancement in medical science. But I was reading uh, the other day, and I got the idea from a, a sermon that I had read, and I did some research on it. And not long ago, they asked a group of uh, very respected physicians, doctors, what they believed to be the, the most horrifying, terrifying sickness that had ever plagued planet Earth. Well, they had top three on their list, and let me share them with you. The first was what was called the Black Plague. Now, many of you remember studying about that in school. It happened about 700 years ago, 13th, 14th century. Uh, during that time, over 200 million people in Eurasia died from the Black Plague. And a matter of fact, during the 13th, 14th century, almost 60% of the population of Europe died from the Black Plague. Now, it was a single bacteria that caused the plague that was carried on rats and fleas. So it was a devastating plague in that part of the world. The second disease that they brought up, the second sickness, was that of smallpox. Now, many folks believe that smallpox is the worst disease ever known to humanity. And I tend to agree with them on this because from 1980, I mean 1880 to 1980, it killed about 500 million people worldwide. Now, that's a lot of folks. Uh, matter of fact, in the 18th century, uh, it killed five European monarchs. And in the 18th century in Europe, almost 80% of children five years old or younger died because of smallpox. But it was the first disease also eradicated from the face of the earth. Then the last disease that these doctors brought up was HIV and AIDS. Globally, depending on what statistic you read, there's about 75 million people who are infected with a disease. And since 1981, 36 million people have died. And even though there are drugs to help manage this sickness, as of right now, there's no cure for the disease. Now you say, why are you bringing all that up? Because I want you to understand something as devastating as these sicknesses were and are, folks, there's one sickness that is worse than all those sicknesses as any other sickness that you can think of combined. And the cause of this sickness that I'm talking about and the symptoms are described in a song that was written by a king. Now, the king was David, and the song was a song. And it's one you're familiar with. Turn this morning to Psalm chapter 51. I want to talk to you about sin sickness this morning.
Everybody have it? Let's have prayer. Father, open our hearts today, our ears and our eyes that we may hear, that we may see. Father, I pray your Holy Spirit convicts hearts this morning and the truth of your word goes out, pierces to the very inner core of our being. And we see where we are concerning you and in our walk with Jesus Christ. In his name, amen. Now, folks, a couple of weeks ago, we started a series uh, with a title, Playlist. And what we're doing, we're actually listening, verbally listening, to some songs written by one of the most prolific songwriters uh, in history. And the songs are from the heart of God. That's what a psalm is. It's a song from the very heart of God. And this particular psalm, Psalm 51, is one of heartbreak and heartache. Now, I want to ask you, how many of you have a superscription right before, in chapter 51, right before verse 1? Most Bibles have one. It says, mine says, to the chief musician, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came unto him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Now, you may have a different saying in yours, depending on what translation you have. But what it's talking about is, it's saying that this psalm was from David after Nathan the prophet confronted David with his sin, his sin with Bathsheba, committing adultery with Bathsheba and having her husband murdered. Now, the background of this psalm is one of the most famous stories in the Bible. If you haven't read it, I encourage you to read it. Second Samuel chapter 11 and chapter 12 tells the whole story. I'm going to give you a quick rundown of the story of why David is, is uh, pitting these words and why David is praying this prayer. Now, the story, folks, we know that starts off, says that it was time when the kings went off to war. So there were battles being fought, battles being waged at this point in time. But Scripture tells us in 2 Samuel chapter 11 that David sent his armies out, but he didn't go. He stayed around the palace. That was his first mistake. And then Scripture says that in the evening time, he got out of bed. So apparently he's been laying around the palace doing nothing while everybody's out fighting the battle. He's just been lounging, sleeping all day because it's nighttime when you should be sleeping. Now he gets up. And the Bible says that he walks out on the roof of his palace. Now understand, over in that part of the country, even today, all the houses or the buildings, they have patio roofs because, of course, desert over there and hot and it was more wind and more air out on the roof. Well, David walks out on the roof And what he does is he notices a woman who's taking a bath on the rooftop down below him. Now, right here at this point, David noticed this woman. What he should have done was turn around and walk away from that temptation. But David did just the opposite of that. Instead of walking away, David continued to look. And then David began to lust. And then David gave in to that temptation and he inquired about this woman. And then he brought this woman to the palace. He committed adultery with her. She became pregnant. He then had her husband Uriah sent to the front lines of the fighting where the heaviest fighting was. And he sent word to his captain Joab, said when the fighting's at its fierce, you pull back and leave Uriah hanging. He sent him out there to be killed on the battlefield so David's sinful deed would be covered up. And then David took Bathsheba, Uriah's wife, to be his wife. Now here's what I want you to get. One look planted that seed of sin and it set off a chain reaction that exploded into coveting, stealing, adultery, murder. In one fell swoop, four of God's Ten Commandments were broken. 
However, David's about to learn a hard lesson, folks, and that is the devil and sin, they don't play fair. You see, let me tell you what kind of friend you'll have in the devil. The devil's the kind of friend that will tempt you to sin. And he'll say, yeah, go ahead, do this. You can get away with it. And then once you do sin, he's going to whisper in your other ear, you ain't never going to get away with that. You're never going to get away with it. You see, the devil is a type of a friend that will trip you and then blame you for falling. Reminds me of some politicians we have today. Well, David lived a year with this, without dealing with this sin. Every day of that year, God's dealing with David, and here he experiences the worst year of his life, the worst sickness of his life, because there is no sickness, folks, like sin sickness and the life of a true follower of God. Sin is so debilitating, so demoralizing in the life of somebody who should be delivered from sin. Now, I'm not talking about sin that's confessed. I'm talking about sin that is concealed. We're not talking about sin that is brought into the light. All right? We're talking about sin that's kept in darkness. Now, listen to me. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, God's Holy Spirit enters into your life, moves into your life, and He does not make you immune to sin. But what he does is make you more sensitive to sin. Matter of fact, folks, the mark of a healthy body is one that wants to fight infection. The moment that that infection is noticed, it wants to get rid of that infection. Well, let me say it this way. In the spiritual realm, a healthy believer is someone whose spirit wants to get rid of sin as soon as it experiences sin. I want to tell you again, sin's the worst sickness of all, and let me give you two reasons why it's the worst sickness of all. Number one, first of all, because it's universal. Everybody is born with this disease of sin. As of May this year, our planet had a population of 7.7 billion people. Well, I want to tell you something. All 7.7 billion people are sick with the disease and the sickness of sin. The Bible says we've all fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible makes it clear every one of us has sinned. Look at verse 5 of this chapter. David says, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now let me read this to you out of the NIV. It might clarify a little bit. He says, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. When we're born, we carry that sin, sin gene with us. We are born sin sick right from the beginning. That's why the moment we're born, we begin to die because we're all infected with sin. Reminds me of a story. There was a Sunday school teacher trying to explain to her young kid about the nature of sin. And she made the comment that we're all born in sin. There was one little girl kind of had a puzzled look on her face. She looked at the teacher. The teacher said, Taylor, what's wrong? She said, teacher, I wasn't born in sin. I was born in November. Well, listen to me. I don't care what month you might have been born in. You were born in sin. It's universal. Now, the second reason why sin sickness is the worst sickness of all is because, secondly, it is against God, and only God can cure it. Now, I'm going to make something real clear. I'm talking about sin sickness. That means no doctor, no surgery, no medication, no therapy. There's no self-help program. There's no self-actualization program. I don't care if you see a million counselors. They cannot cure you of sin sickness. Only God can do that. I want to show you today the symptoms of sin in the life of people who should not sin. Now, I'm speaking directly to Christians, those who profess 
to be children of God and followers of Jesus Christ. Because the fact of the matter is, one of the marks that you're healthy in your walk with God is how much you hate sin and how sensitive you are to sin and how quickly you want to get rid of sin when it comes into your life. So believer, listen to me. Here's what sin does in the life of a believer. Now, I want to make this real clear. If you are harboring sin in your heart, you're suffering from sin sickness, then the points I'm going to give here, they're going to pierce your heart this morning. The Holy Spirit's going to be dealing with you today. So, Christian, listen to me. The first thing sin does in the life of a believer is sin defiles the soul. Look at verses 1 and 2. David says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. According unto the multitudes of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Now, what's interesting to me is, folks, one of the first things David asked God is to cleanse him. Wash me. So what David is saying, I need a sin shower. I need to be clean from the filth of this sin. And here's the thing about it. If you would have seen King David in that year that he was dealing with this guilt and dealing with this, what he thought was a hidden sin, if you'd have seen the king out and about, why, on the outside, he would always look pristine. He would have always looked pure because he'd have long flowing robes, the best sandals Bunny could buy. He would have a gold crown. He'd be bedecked with jewels that you could see for miles away. And the king, he would always be freshly bathed and cleaned and perfumed. Yet on the inside... That whole year, King David felt dirty and filthy. He felt filthy and dirty for good reason, because he was filthy and dirty, because sin is filthy and dirty, and sin makes us filthy and dirty. So listen to me. Let me say, by the way, let me put this in here. This is a great test of how close you are to God, or if you know God, if you have a true relationship with God. There's one thing that will be true of you. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, listen to me. Whenever sin enters into your life, it doesn't matter. And I know we like to classify, well, this is a big sin. You know, this is a little sin. No, sin's sin. It doesn't matter whether you think it's a little sin or it's a great sin. If you're a child of God, when sin comes into your life, it will make you feel dirty. There's no way around that. One of the biggest differences between someone who is part of God's family and someone who is not is how they see sin and how they react to sin. Now, if you'll pardon this country cornbread illustration, it's kind of like the difference between a pig and a sheep. You take a pig and you throw that pig into a mud pit of muck and mire, what's he going to do? He's going to waller in it. He's going to stay in it. Why? Because that's the nature of a pig. But you throw a sheep in that mud pit, you know what that sheep's going to do? As soon as possible, it wants out of it. Why? Because that's not the nature of a sheep to be wallowing in the mud, in the muck, and the mire. Now, having said that, I want you to listen real close. Anyone who doesn't know God, they feel the false freedom of their sin. But somebody who does know God, when they sin and get tangled in sin, they feel the, the true filth of their sin. Now, sin affects us emotionally. It may feel good for a while while you're sinning, but, but if you know God, you won't feel good after you're sinning. Now, folks, that's why so many people don't understand the difference between someone who's truly a Christian and someone who is not. Now, I know you've heard this. Both a Christian and a non-Christian can sin. In fact, both a Christian and a non-Christian will sin. 
But when God comes into your life, I'm going to say it again, He doesn't fix you so that you can never sin again, but He does fix you where you should not want to sin again. And I'm going to tell you, He fixes you where you're not going to enjoy sin again. Now, how, David, David was broke. When David penned these words, David's heart had been broken. David's life had shattered. And David, he wants to come clean. And he uses some phrases, beginning in verse 1, to emphasize how broke he was and how he wanted to come clean. And these phrases paint a picture. Uh, verse 1, <coughs> he says, blot out my transgression. That word blot out, that means writing from a book. He, it means, David, I want the record clean, God. He's saying, God, I don't want you to just take and scribble it out. He said, I want you to erase it completely. Get rid of it completely. Then I want you to notice the next thing he says, verse 2. He says, wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity. That word wash, it means to beat or to pummel. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? What it's doing is referencing the way women used to wash clothes back then. They would take wet clothes and they'd beat them on rocks to get the stains and get all the blemishes out of it. What David is saying is, whatever it takes, uh, basically, Lord, beat me clean. Whatever it takes, David says, I don't want one speck of dirt left on my soul. Then look at verse 2 again. He says, and cleanse me from my sin. That word cleanse means to purge. What David wants, he wants to go into a sin detox. He doesn't want to see a sin. He don't want to hear a sin, to sense a sin, to smell a sin. He says, I want it all gone, God. Let me say it again. Sin defiles the soul. But number two, also in the life of a believer, unconfessed sin, unrepentant sin, it'll dominate your mind. And not only affects you emotionally, it affects you mentally. Look at verse 3. Look what David says. For I acknowledge my transgression, and my sin is ever before me. David thought he had let his sin go after it had been uh, completed. You know, after he tried to cover it all up, well, I let that sin go. But, but if you've got a relationship with God, you might want to let that sin go. But unconfessed sin is not going to go because it won't let you go. David, for a solid year, he's haunted by the ghost of guilt. The sin might be out of sight, but it wasn't out of his mind. I'm going to say it again. If you're a believer, listen real close. God won't let it out of your mind. David said, my transgressions are ever before me. That means that when he went to bed at night, he went to bed thinking about that sin. When he got up in the morning, he got up thinking about that sin. When he went around his, about his business during the day, he was thinking about that sin. When he sat down to eat, that sin was in his mind. When he rode his horse or his chariots, that sin was before him. When he sat on the throne, that sin was there. It plagued his mind. Everywhere that David went, his sin was sure to go. That's exactly the way sin is in the life of a believer. You'll try to put it in the back of your mind, but that sin will keep coming through the front door. You're constantly reminded of it. You see it, a picture, and you're reminded of it. You hear a song, you're reminded of it. You have a conversation, you feel that sin. Listen to me, believer, unconfessed, unforgiven sin will always, always become unforgotten sin. You may be able to put it out of sight, but you'll never be able to put it out of your mind because if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, God's not going to let you put it out of your mind until you deal with it and get it right. That's the reason David said in verse 3, my sin uh, is ever before me. What David was saying was, I can't escape it. It's always on my mind. It's kind of like, uh, and I know many of you probably had this experience. I didn't know that this phenomenon or nominon, how you're going to say it, had a name. 
But how many of you have ever got a tune stuck in your head? You know, I remember when one of our kids was young, there used to be a big purple dinosaur named Barney. I got that stuck in my head one time. I hated Barney. Uh, Still do, matter of fact. But you get a, a tune stuck in your head. Now, I did not realize psychologists have a name for that. And I did not realize that so many people suffer from this. And some people, at least once a week, they suffer from this. You know what the term is? Psychologists call it earworms. Earworms. So the next time you get a tune stuck in your head, you can tell somebody, I got an earworm. Uh, from that, I want you to hear me now. Listen, to a healthy believer, sin in their life, it's not an earworm, it's a heartworm. It's a heartworm. Once it gets into your system, into your mind, you cannot get it out of your mind until you get that sin before God. Get right and get it out of your heart. Then it'll be out of your mind. So listen, sin in the life of a believer, it defiles the soul. It dominates the mind. <clears throat> but number three, it also discourages the heart. Sin not only affects us uh, emotionally, not only affects us mentally, most of all spiritually. I want you to look at verse 8. David says, make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. You know, when something happens to us that, that totally devastates us, a lot of times we'll say something like this, well, that just, that just crushed me. It crushed me. Well, that's what David's saying right here. That's what David is referring to. You see, up until this time, up until that sin entered into David's heart and he refused to deal with it, David and God were just like this. Because the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. Uh, to put it in modern lingo, they were in each other's contact list. They probably FaceTimed all the time. But now that sin's entered into the picture, unrepentant, unconfessed sin no longer. Now when God spoke to David, David didn't hear joy and gladness in God's voice. He heard judgment and sadness in God's voice. Again, now keep in mind, believer, this is a symptom of not just sin sickness, but when you're feeling this, when you know this is happening in your life, and when uh, you're, you're facing discouragement, and your heart's discouraged because of that sin, it's not just a symptom of sin sickness. It's a sign telling you you need to get well. You need to do something about it. Listen, a healthy believer is glad they're living right, and they're sad when they're living wrong. Sin will drag on your spirit every time. It will always bring discouragement. I can promise you this, Christian. If you're a healthy Christian, you will be an unhappy sinner. I promise you. Just as surely as night follows day, the life of a true believer, in their life, sorrow is going to follow sin. You know, I heard one preacher put it this way. He said, just surely as a bad food brings indigestion, sin is going to bring sorrow. Well, I'm going to tell you something, folks. Disobedience is always going to bring discouragement. Now, I want you to think about this. For one long year, David was dealing with this. And in that year's time, now, there was two other people that knew about this sin, about David's sin. There was Bathsheba, of course, and there was also Joab, David's captain. Now, even though Bathsheba and Joab lived with the knowledge of sin, David had lived with the guilt of his sin. There's a great difference. For a year, David had been in spiritual solitary confinement. Now, understand me. Sin will, will sink into your soul and cause depression. Sin will sap your heart of joy. It'll sicken your spirit with sadness. Sin, what it does to a believer is, it sucks the gladness out of your heart and it pumps sadness back into your heart. And you know what, folks? Think about it. That is exactly what sin should do in the life of a believer. 
because of the fourth symptom. And I want you to look. Sin also dishonors the Lord. If there's anything that should motivate us who know God, who love God, who worship God, that should motivate us to avoid sin like the plague, it ought to be verse 4. Look what David said. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. That's interesting. David commits adultery with Bathsheba. He has her husband Uriah murdered, but he's confessing directly and primarily to God, saying he had sinned against Bathsheba and Uriah. And why is he doing that? And I think you all understand, because the truth of the matter is, God is always the first one offended. That's why sin sickness is the worst sickness of all, because it offends God, and God's the only one who can heal it. Folks, that's why there's no such thing as a secret sin. Maybe you're sitting here today, you're thinking, well, my sin's well, well hid. My sin is well covered. No, no. Your sin, first and foremost, is against Almighty God. So listen to me. If you sin verbally, God hears it. If you sin mentally, God knows it. If you sin physically, God sees it. Because it's against Him first. Sin, by its very definition, has to be against God. Because, listen, folks, it's only because of God's law that we understand sin to begin with. When you break a human law, you commit a crime. You break God's law, you commit a sin. That's why if you murder somebody, that's a crime against humanity, but it's a sin against God. If you steal, that's a crime against your neighbor, but it's a sin against God. Because if you truly know God and love God, folks, this is why sin should make you so sick and why there's no worse sickness than sin sickness. Christian, I've told you many times, when you sin... You don't primarily just break God's law. You break God's heart. Because you haven't just disgraced yourself or your family or friends or other people. You have disgraced the God who created you. The God who loved you and the God who sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. Sin is against God, first and foremost. Now I'm going to... Wind it up here, but I'm going to tell you how you can know whether or not you truly know God. If breaking God's heart breaks your heart, then you have a healthy heart. I mean, if your heart is healthy, you don't want there to be any barrier, any breach between you and God. David, he wanted out of this spiritual solitary confinement. He wanted to get back to the place where he could hear God and hear God joyfully. He wanted to get back to the place where he could see God and see God gladly. Now, when you stay in sin and you wallow in that sin and you try to cover that sin, I'm going to tell you, God, in your life, God goes dark and, and, and your life will grow dim. So why would you say that? I didn't. God's Word does. You doubt my Word, then why don't you read the book of Jeremiah and the book of Isaiah? Over and over and over and over and over again, those prophets are told from God, if there's sin, I'm not going to hear. If you withhold, if you regard sin, I'm not going to hear you. I was reading the other day about a little town called Greenbank, West Virginia. Anybody ever heard of that town? It's a great thriving metropolis. I think it's a population of 200. Uh, but the funny thing about Greenbank, Bank, West Virginia, you can't have a cell phone in that town. Cell phones are banned. Oh, yeah, I can see some of y'all saying, I'm never going through Virginia. There's no way. Cell phones are banned. As a matter of fact, you can't even get radio service in your car. 
most places. Now, the reason it is is because Green Bank, West Virginia, sits in the middle of what's called a national uh, no-radio quiet zone. It's 13,000 square miles where radio signals, any other kind of signals, are limited. Now, the reason it is because they have the Robert C. Byrd Observatory there, a huge telescope and all this fancy electronic listening device, and they are listening for sounds at the farthest ends of the universe. And so they don't want anything to get in the way and block them from hearing what they want to hear and seeing what they want to see. Let me say this to you, Christian. When the dirt of sin clogs up God's communication line in your life, you're in a spiritual quiet zone. You will not hear him the way you should hear him. You will not see him the way you should see God. And you will not enjoy God in your life the way you should enjoy God. Why is that? Well, let me say it again. Because sin, folks, it is against God, first and foremost. And God is the only one who can redeem and restore you. The only one who can cure you of that sin sickness. Look at it this way. If you sin against another person, say you sin against me. I can remove my bitterness, but I cannot remove your guilt. God can. And God will if you'll simply repent. If you'll simply repent. If you'll do what David did. First of all, acknowledge your sin. Look again, verse 3 and 4. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Disagree. Father, my sin is against you. It's against you and I acknowledge it. But secondly, ask forgiveness and ask for God to restore you. Let's read verse 7, starting in verse 7. David says, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. Now listen to verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Look at verse 12. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Let me ask you something, believer. If you're here today and you're harboring sin in your heart, unconfessed sin, God has dealt with you on it, but you've hidden it. You think nobody else knows about it? I'm, I'm, I'm assuring you God knows about it. Now, believer, because of Jesus Christ, you've been set free from sin. So why in the world would you want to live bound to sin and bound with that guilt that comes from sin? I'm telling you, if you're tired of living a life, tired of being sin sick, tired of being miserable, you're tired of uh, uh, being discouraged and joyless, God's giving you the remedy right here. He's giving you the cure. It's up to you whether you'll apply it or not. And I want to say one more thing before we close. My friend, if you can live in sin, dwell in sin, enjoy sin, and have no guilt or conviction concerning sin, then I want you to know you do not know God, and you've never met Jesus Christ. So I can't believe you'd say that, preacher. That's the truth. That's the truth of God's Word. You can call yourself anything you want to call yourself. You can try to convince yourself 
that you're a believer because you're a member of a church or because you're a good person. But you're fooling yourself. The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8 that he who practices sin, that word practice, or committeth sin is what it says in the King James, but it means to practice, it means to habitually live and dwell in a life of sin. He who lives in sin, dwells in sin, the Bible says is of the devil. Now, friend, listen to me. You're either of Jesus Christ or you're of the devil. There's no third option. No third option. Now, here's what you need to do today. You need to get free. You need to experience the freedom that Jesus Christ gives through salvation. And if you have been saved, you need to experience that freedom. And as David said, return unto me, Lord, the joy of thy salvation. Return unto me the joy of thy salvation. Christian, are you living in misery? Living in joyless life? You need to do what David did. Repent, acknowledge, ask God to forgive and restore you and return that joy back to your life. Because if you're a believer and you're living a life with no joy in it, then either you're far from God or, again, you're fooling yourself and you're not a believer. I pray you make the right decision this morning. Would you bow your heads, please? I'm going to pray, and when we, when I say amen, then we'll begin a time of invitation. But you don't have to wait for that time. You can come right now. You can come and kneel at this altar and lay your heart bare before the Lord. Because, friend, you're not hiding anything from God. You never have, and you never will hide anything from God. Father, I pray for those who need to make a decision this morning. They would have the courage to do so. Father, I pray for those who have been living uh, a life without joy and a life of defeat because they've allowed themselves to be bound by sin. And I pray as your children, they'd understand that's not your desire. That's not your will. We have been set free because of Jesus Christ. And I pray they would take that to heart this morning. And I pray for those who don't know you. They never established that covenant with you through Jesus Christ. I pray it was clear to them this morning what needs to happen. Christ's name, amen. You stand, please.